All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fuck? What what, uh, what what happened to that intro? Huh? What what happened? It, I didn't say fuck. I said fut. I said fut. All right, look. I Clearly, I'm having some emotional or mental block around the intros. Clearly, there's an issue. I'm not going to sit here and struggle in front of you. But I am Mark Marin. This is WTF. Welcome to the show. Uh, if you've never been here before, it's a pleasure to meet you. If you have been here before... Open your ears and let me talk into your head. Uh, I'm excited about the show today. Simon Pegg is on the show. Uh, I was excited to meet Simon Pegg, but I was uh, nervous because I had to get up to speed on Simon Pegg. I went to see his new film, which I enjoyed, but I had also seen Shaun of the Dead, but I had not seen his earlier TV work with Edgar Wright, his partner, the director that uh, does all the work with him, and Nick Frost, the, uh, the guy who's in all the movies. I wanted to know... I actually did a little research. That's what I'm telling you. I went and watched all the episodes of Space, and I really got a sense of uh, where they all learned uh, or sort of uh, cut their teeth on on their point of view, on their oeuvre. Can I use the word oeuvre? Would that be an oeuvre? The uh, the right peg or the peg right frost oeuvre? Well, I, I, I think I got a handle on it, and I was a little nervous about talking to him, but it's funny stuff, man. It's satirical. It's uh, genre busting. Uh, they they riff on a lot of stuff. I look. I guess I'm just tooting my own horn because I'm actually proud of myself. I did some homework so I could uh, respect my guest, and we had a, a lovely chat, Simon Pegg and I. So look forward to that because that's going to happen. And if I sound refreshed and clear headed, it's because I went on a vacation for three days. I had no idea that uh, vacations now they're fucking expensive, man. It's hard to enjoy a vacation when you're just sitting there going, how much did this minute cost? How much did this hour cost? But fortunately, I'm not that cheap. I was able to let it go. Uh, we spontaneously uh, went to Big Sur, drove back uh, yesterday. But uh, I drove back six hours and I was strung out from the road. I'm no hero, but I mean, yeah, it's not Afghanistan. It's Big Sur. I wasn't fighting. I was trying to, well, I was fighting myself. But still, there's no comparison. Uh, it's a very small battlefield. It's a sad battlefield. There's only a couple people on the battlefield. There's me and the the part of me that refuses to uh, to relax. And that's what we did. We went to Big Sur. I'd, I'd not spent time up there, really. I'd been I'd driven through before. I knew it had some importance to me because of my weird nostalgic connection to the beatniks and to the hippies. Uh, I knew Esalen was up there. I'm not even sure what Esalen is, but I know it's up there and people go there for workshops. I think uh, Joni Mitchell lived there. Hunter S. Thompson hung out there. Maybe Kesey was there. Uh, there was some stuff going on there. People would sit and they'd fucking uh, hot tubs or not hot tubs. I think actual uh, actual mineral baths. I think that there's a, a hole in the ground, springs, wells. All I know is that over the time that Big Sur has been sort of a spiritual and creative outpost, I know a lot of famous writers have fucked up in the woods up there. Henry Miller, I think, did a little of that. I think uh, Kerouac was up there. He wrote a book about it. But I was not going up there to have that experience. There's no cabin. I don't know anyone up there with a cabin. Can you still get a cabin in Big Sur? It's stunning, though. We went to a resorty place. I, I just wanted to reboot. I wanted to try to relax. I wanted to have that experience, and I paid money to stay at this place, and it was worth it, I believe, because I think I actually relaxed. It was frightening at first, but I went ahead and let myself do it. We went up to this place. I got a nice big room. had a hot tub on the deck. I went into the hot tub. Maybe the first night in the hot tub was not attractive. I don't know if you like, if you can picture a guy who is compulsive, antsy, has a hard time sitting still for even a movie in his own house, is now going to get into a hot tub. An anxious, 
antsy, aggravated Jewish fella in a hot tub, forcing himself to enjoy. Picture the face. Got it? How is that not hilarious? By day two, I got the hang of it, and it was very enjoyable. And Jessica had a good time, too, and we did not fight. This signals one of the first vacations we've ever gone on where we didn't fight. There was no screaming among the Redwoods. There was no strange yelling about nothing into the great wilderness of Big Sur. There was none of that shit. We actually had a nice time, ate a lot of good food. Feel a little shitty about that. About six pounds up. Going to work it off. Don't worry about me. It's been a good, it's, it's been a cheat month or two. I'll tell you the truth. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not going to lie to you. I did some yoga. I got back into that. I did a Pilates class. It was just me and, and six women. Uh, that was nice. Uh, my, my stomach is a little sore. I'm not, I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed to do a little Pilates occasionally. I got a couple massages. Massages are tricky for me. I had one massage by this woman. Uh, I, I don't know boundaries. I don't know how to necessarily be appropriate when I'm being touched in any way. These were not those kind of massages. I, obviously, they were high-end massage. I told her to go deep. She went deep. I almost cried. Uh, I, I couldn't use my leg properly for, for about an hour. I think she went, like, I think she pulled all the muscle away from my bone, and they're just now reconnecting. That's a good massage, but I don't know how to really handle massages because if somebody touches me for that long, there's that moment where they're like, okay, you can roll over on your back where you want a hug. You want to hold, you want to cuddle. You realize not the place for it. This is their job. They have a boundary. You should have one too. Stupid. And your fiance is just in the next room getting one as well. So, it, but it's not that kind of thing. It wasn't even a matter of, could have been a man. Doesn't matter. Could have been a man. You're going to touch me that long, that intimately, make me feel that good. I'm probably going to want to give you a hug. I didn't do it, but it's there. Maybe I have some stuff to work out. I don't know. I uh, had some confrontations with deer. I woke up early, took a walk to have breakfast and look at the ocean and realize how small I was, get some zen. And uh, uh, both th at both mornings, I came upon a few deer. You know, I saw them. They saw me. We had that standoff that uh, people and deer have where they're like, what's up? And I'm like, nothing, just just hanging out looking at you. And they're like, are you sure? I'm going to cock my head a little bit. I'm going to cock my head a little bit. You know, we're pretty uh, privileged up here. No one's shooting us, so I'm not going to freak out. I don't think you have a gun. I'm like, I don't have a gun. I'm just hanging out. I'm only reaching for my phone. I'm reaching for my phone. I'm going to take a picture of you. I'm reaching my, for my phone. Relax. Why are you reaching in your pocket? Just relax. I'm getting my phone. I got to fucking go. You're freaking me out. I'm going to go eat somewhere else. God damn it. Didn't get a picture. But I had that ex I had that exchange. I saw some very young deer too. And then I had the mild fear of being attacked by a large cat. As much as I love cats, one of my biggest fears is being in the mountains and being ripped apart by a, a large cat. And I think that would be a very ironic and, and fitting way for me to die. I'd prefer to go another way. But uh, all in all, Big Sur is one of the most spectacular things I've ever experienced. It's one of the most beautiful places I've ever been in my life. And I don't think I really appreciated it until just this last week. And uh, I would love to, I get this feeling every time I go on vacation. Every time, uh, within a day, I'm like, why don't I just take the money I have? Is How long will it last me? Can I just live off the land? Can I just take what's in my car and build some sort of functioning living situation? The answer is no, no. No, I can't. I don't have anything in my car. I've got an old towel, uh, and I've got, uh, uh, I think, some uh, some uh, cables, some of those pulley cables, you know, that you can close the trunk with. Nothing that would uh, enable me to survive. Man, there is such a profound part of me that just wants to fucking go.
Get out. I can't get in. No one's going to come to Desert Hot Springs to do interviews. I mean, I'm already pushing my luck with the garage. Yeah, they just have to drive two and a half hours out. It's hot. I don't even know if I can get a place out there. What am I going to do out there? Will I have air conditioning? These are questions I can't answer. I just picture myself sitting on a porch in the desert, just outside of Joshua Tree, just sitting there. And people say, that's that guy. He used to do a thing. Now he's out here and he just sits there. Look at what the sun's doing to his skin. It's horrible. He seems very peaceful. He doesn't talk to many people. Occasionally he has outbursts at the coffee shop. Can I be that guy? Maybe. Maybe that's the place to go. Did I mention I'm going to be in Utah this, uh, I didn't mention it. I know I didn't mention it. I'm going to be at Wise Guys in West Valley uh, this Saturday. That's the day after tomorrow. That would be the 17th. Next week, I'm going to be at De- in Denver at the Comedy Works uh, Friday and Saturday. So that will be nice. Mile High City. I'm getting to that age where I'm realizing, like, how much more time is there? Wouldn't it be nice just to sit down and look at nothing for the rest of it? Wouldn't that be nice? Or should I keep complicating things? In other words, living a life. Tough question. Let's talk to Simon Pegg. Pull that mic right into you. Got it. And I think we can do it, Simon Pegg. Excellent. Thank you. (laughs) I think, and I don't, a lot of times I forget to actually say who I'm talking to. (laughs) <laughs> but I could take it's care a of it. game the audience can yeah it's a, I take care of it in the intro <laughs> so uh, how long have you been in the states here this time around uh, we got in from um, Sydney about a week ago we got in for Comic Con so we uh, we started off in Wellington in New yeah. Zealand we left the UK we did everything we needed to do there <laughs> went to Wellington went to uh, Sydney and Melbourne and then we landed in San Diego for yeah. Comic-Con, which is like obviously landing in Moss Eisley Spaceport. It's, sure, uh, yeah, and it's definitely not New Zealand. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, it's like, yeah, San Diego is like, yeah, it prides itself on its beaches, but it's not New Zealand. No, no. I've never all. been to New Zealand, but um, what'd you do in Sydney? What'd you do in New Zealand? You're just pushing the movie? Yeah, well, we had uh, uh, Peter Jackson has always sort of, ever since Shaun of the Dead, he's been quite a, you know, a supporter, and we did a little premiere there for Hot Fuzz, so it, it felt right that we go and do something for The World's End there. So uh-huh. he... And Martin Freeman was just finishing up at The Hobbit. He's also in the film. Uh-huh. So he was able to be there. We just did a little, um, you know, a, an event at the Embassy Theatre there, which was nice, with him sort of introducing it. Peter Jackson was there? Yeah, yeah. So he lives there all year round? Yeah, it's like he's the king. I would imagine. <laughs> he's like the emperor <laughs> he's of New a, Zealand. He's a, he's the guy that's uh, kind of supporting their country on some level. Absolutely. So. I mean, he's the kind of the, the very center of the film. He's got an amazing little thing going on out there. You know, it's the studio. Yeah, the most amazing post-production and, you know, outside Hollywood. It's incredible. In this little island in the Pacific, there's this Have, have you been there before? Complex. Yeah, a few times. It's beautiful, right? It's amazing. It's I've never been there. Place. It's like uh, it's like Scotland crossed with Middle Earth. I mean, it really is. It's kind of strange. It's like Scotland without Scottish people. Exactly. <laughs> well, no, there's actually quite a lot of Scottish people. Oh, there. are there? Yeah. There's a whole Scottish community down in the South Island. There's a place called Dunedin, uh-huh. which is like a little piece of Scotland. Are you uh, are you Scottish? From my the... wife is Scottish. A really full on Scottish? Yeah, like full on. Uh huh. And Glaswegian. What, Glaswegian. Yeah. I've been to Glasgow. Have you? Yeah. I I've never had to acclimate to more people throwing up in the street in my life. <laughs> it's I, amazing on a Saturday night. It's like, but, but it's really amazing. 
amazing coming from America and knowing like, you know, like there's such a thing as a drinking problem. Yeah. And, but you know, you go there and it's just sort of like, you realize that this happens every weekend here. Oh my God. It's, it's incredible. It's fucking insane. You, you, I've never seen so many people lying down on concrete. Yeah. On concrete <laughs> or just, you know, halfway done with food and sleeping. On the- <laughs> it's crazy. And like Sydney, so you see the thing I don't uh, like because I'm sort of um, I'm not a yeah I don't I don't travel that much, but I I think that people who grow up in the UK it's very it's part of their life to just travel to the countries that to me are very exotic. Yeah, yeah. So you've been to Australia many times, or I have, but I didn't travel much until I was I didn't leave the United Kingdom until I was 19. Oh, really? Yeah, I mean I I hadn't been on an airplane until I was 19. Really? Yeah, I look back on that now and think. It's incredible. But why, why is that? It wasn't like you were... We uh, just weren't very well off. We, ne- we never had holidays abroad. You know, a lot of kids went to Europe for their holidays, but we went to Devon, which is in the south of England, which is about as sunny as it gets. <laughs> is, is that a beach? Yeah. No, it's like an area. It's a beautiful part of the yeah. southwest. But yeah. it's, and, and it's... I, I, I had beautiful holidays there as a kid, but we never kind of did those package deals to Malta or Mallorca or wherever the, right. the British people go. So I went to Germany was the first place I went. Oh. And I've made up for it since. I mean, yeah. it's ridiculous. You go, you go everywhere. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. great, right? And I, I've been to Australia quite a few times. Yeah, Australia's neat. You know, I mean, it's like I've been to Sydney, I've been to Melbourne, and then there's part of me that's like, is there anything else really? that? <laughs> <laughs> I know. Well, it, the funny thing is, if you you could probably fit of the entire Australian population into a small market town in the UK. Right. Because it's all around the outside. Right. And the amount of personal space over there is insane. It's it, like... It's crazy. Yeah, everyone's got like at least... 50 meters each yeah and it's also like there's part of you things like what the hell's going on in the center i mean there's got to be things like did you go out there yeah i did i went to the northern territory i went to i went to uluru as it's called yeah uh, which was uh, used to be formerly as rock the rock formerly known as as right does it look like mars i mean what's out there it's amazing yeah it is like a huge red wasteland but a beautiful i mean all inspiring you know sure so you say you didn't travel much i mean how did how did you grow up i mean what was uh what was the uh parochially parochially (laughs) yeah (laughs) What did your uh, What did your family do? What did you- I um I grew up in a little place called Gloucester. Yeah, um, the original Gloucester, not Gloucester, Massachusetts. Right? Obviously. No, I've been to Gloucester, Massachusetts. <laughs> I, I was hoping it wasn't that one. It's okay. It's nice, but you know, it's like um I think the the two most famous people to come out of Gloucester are me and a serial killer. Um, <laughs> two but, different paths. <laughs> two different but paths. Both creative. Could have been me. Yeah. And weirdly, I worked at the same place as this guy as well. No. Yeah, I punched the same clock as this guy. Are you serious? Fred West. Yeah. Did you? You? But how are you? Are you? Uh, are you uh, age uh, similar? No, no. It? He was older than me. Oh, so he it, preceded you at the job. Yes. Yeah, yeah. He was. I was actually working as a caretaker at a at a uh, an industrial estate where he worked uh, when I was about nineteen. What does that mean? A caretaker at like an a industrial? janitor. Oh, okay. All right. That, well, that, I like the. I'm. I think the janitors here should maybe use that. <laughs> the, the janitors sort of stigmatized, but caretaker. That's caretaker sounds nice. It sounds like someone working in the mental health industry. <laughs> exactly. I was. Uh, I was assisting the uh, industrial estate. They had problems. <laughs> What, 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 what's an industrial... It's so lofty. That's, yeah, so, that's so British. Just yeah. to, everything sounds slightly more elevated. It, that is true. <laughs> that is true. I, I, I mean, I'm always sort of impressed with it, and I feel intimidated by it, but now I know. Caretaker's what a janitor, it, and an industrial estate is what? You guys, it's kind of like... It was a trading... I don't know. It was like a retail... No, it wasn't even that. It was like a factory, basically. Right. 
It's like you guys say sidewalk, and mm-hmm. that's that's what it is. It's a, the side of the road. We say pavement. Oh, that sounds yeah, so yeah. regal. Yeah, yeah. We rarely <laughs> use the word pavement unless we're talking about a band or Stephen Mockmus. Yeah, his yeah, ilk. exactly. Yeah, yeah. So, like, what'd your old man do? What what kind of childhood did you have there? We had my dad was a musician. Is a musician. That's and, great. Yeah, but but amateur, but very good. He works. He has a lot of a jazz and blues band, which he's always been. You know, what's he, his instrument? He, he plays the uh, keyboards. Really? Yeah, and he. Uh, but we had a music shop when I was a kid, and he still sells pianos now. That's his. That's his living. Oh, really? And my mum uh, kind of worked in personnel throughout her life. Uh-huh. She's retired now. But and, so you uh, had the artist in the in the yeah. In but the my mum was a big amateur dramatics uh, fiend. You know that was uh, yeah. that's why I got into acting because she was big in the local drama group and was always doing plays and I was always hanging around with theater types. It's what, what is a, like, see, this is something I'm not familiar with. What is a, a like, they had community... Community dra- theater, yeah. Oh, okay. We call it Amdram. Oh, okay, Amdram. Yeah. And, and she would, what, her and some ladies that you knew from the neighborhood? Yeah, like all these people. But it was an amazing center of kind of, it was inspirational because it was regular people who were putting on plays and rehearsing it in the, on their evening all for all for the just for the love of it there was no sort of monetary gain in it whatsoever. and the people would come from the town yeah and that, I mean it used to be that it was like one of the biggest events of the year was the local musical you know they put on carousel or or, or, or brigadoon or something and the so, whole town would come and watch it so it's sort of like it's it's sort of like high school drama in a way yeah, like where but where, with adults right with adults <laughs> yeah i think that's sort of uh, i think that's sort of what theater was supposed to be for I think so. I mean, I mean it, like a, a community sort of uh, uh, event that you know moved you through emotions as a group. Absolutely, and, and you'd have these microcosmic celebrities as well, which would be local people, right, you know. Right. And and it, it would be the you know that what we see now as 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 the the world of entertainment, but writ small. Right. Right. And and with lower expectations. Low. <laughs> no. No. <laughs> same expectations. <laughs> that lady who worked at the flower shop stunk in the lead. Yeah. You replace yeah. It. They were minimal. Yeah. Yeah. But if someone was quite good. It would yeah. be, you know, Astounding. my mum was very good. She could sing and she was a good actress. She won awards at that level and, and kind of inspired me so that when I got to about 15 and, and the idea of actually following it as a career, which was completely bizarre where yeah. I was from. I was from, you know, I was in the Tatooine of England. It was like the furthest from London you could get, it felt like. What was the main uh, sort of... Uh, uh uh, economic momentum of that the area docks probably oh really yeah it was a it was a the thing about gloucester was it had these incredible docks they're still used for filming yeah but gloucester is in a valley so yeah. during when the germans were bombing the uk during the war the bristol and liverpool which were two other docks were, were flattened but gloucester because yeah. when they switched the lights out it would disappear ah. so the docks stayed intact and it was like this vital port and uh-huh. so yeah i guess it was it was the docks and um, so it didn't need to be rebuilt it's sort no, of like yeah, a, a lot of it's still there yeah. uh, uh, sort of uh, significant Exactly, yeah. yeah, and it's still used as a location because it has, you know, it, it looks authentic. Yeah, and so when, but when you were a kid, were they functioning? Uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah, and and we had a, other sort of like chemical. That was like ICI was there, and uh, but it wasn't full of crime and thugs. No, Gloucester. It wasn't. Gloucester is very famous. I saw it once on a TV show in America because we have this tradition, which I thought was completely normal yeah. and utterly rationable. Rationable? Rational. Rational, yeah. Where um, on May Day, there's a hill in Gloucester, in Brockworth, which is the village I was from, uh, which has a very steep face mm-hmm. without any trees on it. Every May Day, they roll a cheese down the hill and all the local boys chase it. 
<laughs> Every year someone dies. It's incredible. Someone dies chasing cheese. Somebody is at least no. I mean, one person died once, but there, there was uh, <laughs> cheese tragedy. There's always a cheese, yeah. cheese tragedy. <laughs> <laughs> there's always like broken ankles, but and it's ridiculous. The guys get hopped up on cider and they run down a virtually sheer face in pursuit of a piece of cheese and damage themselves. And it's like it's not even a bull. You know, like, it's, like, it's not a heroic tale to your children why you can't walk. <laughs> It was to do with cheese. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's called the cheese roll, and yeah. uh, and I remember I was in the I was staying in L.A. and I I was watching some show called Foreigners Do the Stupidest Things. Or and something there you like are, yeah. and there it was, oh, my tiny town. village. I was so proud. <laughs> yeah, I bet it was a real moment for you. Look, <laughs> yeah. we are contributing. I know. I never I never realized how bizarrely stupid we were until that moment. So you get a lot of uh, you know, like I'm not pr- particularly what one would call a nerd. Yeah. But uh, you seem to be a, a nerd hero. I think so, yeah. I think because we've kind of, what we've done artistically is embraced that popular culture thing. I'm a child of popular culture, really, is what I am. You know? Was that because, uh, I mean, I, I always wonder, because like when I was a kid, I mean, I'm a little older than you, but uh, I spent most of my time just you know being miserable and listening to music yeah. and drawing things. But it seems that you know you seem to immerse yourself in, uh, in, in everything else. I did I mean, a bit of that too. I mean, I was, you know, I, I listened to the Smiths and sketched skulls. <laughs> I just wanted to make sure. I just wanted to make sure. But so when did, did you go to college and did you, like, what was your original pursuit? Yeah, I, I well, what happened for me was, yeah. I think the the grand zero moment for me was, was I was seven when Star Wars hit and that had such a kind of seismic effect on And it's a me. theme throughout your work. Yeah, and it just, because it kind of like, I don't know, it's sort of, it was a, t- a cultural bomb for yeah. me, you know. It sort of it, it, when I, I trace it back to a lot of my interests and and my some of my interests in music and literature span from it and stuff. And really, because I, I was seven, I was a kid, you know. Right. So that's when it, that's when they get you. Yeah, that's that's when they attack. So when you first saw Star Wars, you're like, holy shit! Yeah, I was. I, was you- I walked out of the cinema like, what the <laughs> fuck was that? I felt like I felt changed. It was strange. Well, I think a lot of people did. And yeah. do, do you feel uh, do you feel like it sort of uh, gave you a sense of story and a sense of everything else? And yeah, it made me interested. Well, it made me interested in a lot of things. Uh, f- films I'd already, you know, I loved the Ray Harryhausen movies and you uh-huh. know that kind of stuff as a kid growing up. But those are British movies. Yeah, you know, like Jason and the Argonauts oh, and yeah, the, like, his animations. You oh, know, like the, uh, Sinbad. the Sinbad movies. Yeah, yeah. You know, the the many armed things. Exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. Sinbad and the Eye of the Tiger was the yeah. first film I actually remember going to see. Those were pretty spectacular. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah, but you know, like, but, but when that was all there is, you kind of accepted those special effects. I like. I, I look back on that and think how amazing it was that we suspended our disbelief. Nowadays, if you know, Transformers looks a bit shonky. It was, ah, oh, it's rubbish. It's terrible. You saw that that robot wasn't real. Of course it's not real. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like when you're a kid, you believe anything because... And that was it. That was the best they had. I mean, could, do you ever watch black and white movies like Godzilla? And, yeah. And, and you're like, oh, and there's just like a, or the moth one where you... like a man in a suit. Yeah, know, the, yeah. The fly where yeah. the guy's in this giant rabbit suit or whatever the hell it is. And you buy it because you... You want we're, to. We're never not, we're never not aware that we're watching artificiality. It's just we're getting more and more petty about what we stand for in terms of looking real do you know and i i i used to watch i was a huge fan of doctor who growing up right that, well there you go British that gives you your, your nerd credibility yeah that in and of itself yeah absolutely that you but that's have... more nerdy here because it's foreign you know right. at home everybody watched it it was a mainstream show you know? right and there's only a couple of channels in britain right? there was three until 1982 i see that's a the, <laughs> the intimacy of the entertainment business in in the uk is, is phenomenal yeah 
you know, because here, like, and that's why, like, they're, they're Anglophiles here that, that that are just like, this is so special. Yeah, yeah. But for you guys, it's like, yeah, it was a couple seasons, you know, and now, you know, <laughs> yeah, what I mean? know, yeah, that was on for two years when I was a kid. But the talk- whole thing is much different. The whole idea of, you know, uh, the length of seasons, the amount of seasons. And when it was three channels, you'd have to make a choice. It was like, okay, so it's BBC One, BBC Two, or ITV. And you chose what... <laughs> Nowadays, I think the, the, the ridiculous surfeit of choice... Yeah. Just you just flick because there's you always think there's going to be something else. There's going to be something else. Right, you had to settle back in the right. day. Yeah, but well, I think that was better. I think when it was a more in- intimate industry, I think that a lot more people were on the same page. Now Absolutely. You, well, now you live in a world of like, did you see that thing? It's like, how would I fucking see that? Yeah. Where did you see it? I know. Where do you get that? So people actually look for things that no one has seen before to celebrate yeah. them, and that's the big thing: the search for media that is completely uh, exactly. hard to find and also we don't we we own t- tv now it yeah. used to be this emissary from a different it was like a box that we didn't even own that was in the corner you had to sit down when it told you to right and and watch stuff that it told you to watch now you can tape stuff and you can sure. gvr or you can watch just pieces of it yeah the, the you, good parts yeah on your phone yeah 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 and i don't know if it's good or bad do you have well this is the it? thing this is the thing is it good or is it bad there's a, that that feeds into a lot of what with the world's end is about this idea of nostalgia you think oh was it better when that coffee shop was run by an old man no i love that part of the movie and i like the movie a lot yeah and and i think that it definitely hit on that stuff but your character is such a a broken man oh yeah and and i you know i certainly relate to uh the idea that things were better in high school but the fact that his life was so small yeah that the one thing he was holding on to was this you know tremendous excuse to to continue to be alcoholic yeah <laughs> i know i know well it's that thing it's, it, that we we often lament the past and, that, and talking about tv like that i genuinely feel maybe it was better but was it I, I only think it was better in the way that it enabled us to communicate more collectively around things that happened. Yeah, because we have more common ground, I exactly. guess. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think that you know technology in general is, is sort of a wedge between you know real communication. But I think that the witnessing of an event on television that everybody sort of had to sit through. Yeah. Uh, you know, it was amazing. Like now, even if, if something horrible happens, you know, people are like, I don't know which coverage I want to watch. Yeah, you're flicking you know, through. Right. You yeah. know, which commentator do I want to listen to while the world is ending? Yeah, it's so true. It's, it's, it's weird. So, like, now people don't even want to talk. They'd rather text. It's yeah. like when you see a phone call come in, it's like, oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> I can't be bothered. Yeah, right. <laughs> I'll and write then, to but, you. But there was a time where, you know, there, that was all interconnected. Yeah. Right? So I think on that level, it's bad. I'm glad we figured that out. Also, the, the, we had a, a great a double act, a comedy double act called Morecambe and Wise, who were, our, you know, the biggest thing in the UK yeah. back in the 70s. Their Christmas show in like 1976 pulled in 32 million viewers, which is half the population of the country watched that show. I yeah. Mean, half the population of an entire country watched one television program. Right. This would never happen again. No, never. Never again. Not unless everything, all electricity died, and we were only able to get. <laughs> we, that yeah. was all we had left. Yeah. But uh, but in talking about Star Wars, like I have to assume that because like that first one, I think the first one was written by Lawrence Kasdan, right? Or the second one? With I jo- either the second one. The was, second yeah, one. Yeah. And these are guys that you know were drawing on Joseph Campbell stuff. They oh, were yeah, drawing yeah, on yeah. stuff that you know, like I didn't really put that together. So there was the the mythology was effective. It was yeah because it was grand kind of ideas yeah 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 and I you know I have this whole theory that it it, it its impact beca- was 
because it came when it came, just after the Vietnam War, and America was feeling very kind of insular and, and didn't know what was going on because suddenly they were hearing stories about their own soldiers doing bad things and yeah, the ideas yeah. of good and bad suddenly got all muddied. Yeah. And all the characters in the cinema were like Travis Bickle and Bonnie and Clyde and the, the Corleones, <laughs> all these darkly, you know, twisted, sort of ambiguous heroes. Right. Suddenly comes along this young blonde boy in a white pair of pajamas going, I know what's what. Yeah. And everyone went, fuck yeah. yeah I good. get it. You know, yeah. and it made so much sense. And that's why it, it, it inspired so many people here. And that wave of inspiration just spread around the world. So by the time it hit the UK, everyone was saying, this film is the biggest thing ever. Everybody in America loves it. So we're like, okay, I'll go see it. Then I'll go see it. And, that's, and it, it was one of the most incredible models of, of marketing and, and, and success yeah. in the history of cinema. And it's interesting because you know all those other film heroes that you mentioned, they come out of the same crew of filmmakers. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. They, all those guys, you, know, you were either going to go one way or the other. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. most of them went the way that's like, let's get dark. Let's get, you know, yeah. let's, let's explore the, the horrible underbelly of what our society is. And yeah. Lucas is like, fuck that. Yeah. Let's go to space. <laughs> That's so true. And it's, I wonder what they thought of him, you know. And also they did American rights. Graffiti. I mean, he did American Graffiti too, which was also like, it seemed like his way of doing things. Like that was a complete nostalgia flick. Uh, yeah. And a massive success. Yeah. And it, opened, it enabled him to make. Yeah, crazy little beautiful. space film, you know. But it is nostalgia, and I never really thought about that because that came out a little earlier. But it was still America was still kind of recouping from yeah, yeah. Vietnam and stuff. So he's like, "Fuck that, let's go to the '50s." And even Star Wars is nostalgia because it harks back to those kind of RKO serials and and right, you know, a simpler time when the bad you could tell who was bad and who was sure, good. Sure, the guy so, with the black helmet, and no yeah, face. Yeah, that was, exactly. That was easy. The yeah. Nazi helmet, and no face. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's so it's so much easier to kind of in the face of all that ambiguity and and sort of uh, self-searching that was going on so in 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 space uh, you know throughout uh, the series there's this undercurrent of the phantom menace being a real problem yeah yeah <laughs> is it a problem for you it, well, it was just very disappointing you know it was just kind of 16 years waiting for it and then suddenly it was like oh but you're a grown man weren't you waiting for it with a certain amount of like well this you know he doesn't really need to make anymore were you one of those people that's sort of like it's not finished i know i i i was uh, the, the the trailer was very good and then it and then it was disappointing. We're all sort of, you know, I mean, this is the age of we've been so infantilized over the years. I mean, you think about how grown sure, up I'm our wearing parents diapers. Were. I, <laughs> I I look back at my dad when he was like twenty and he it looks like he was seventy. To that, me. Absolutely, that's like there was a time where if you look at like you know if you look at like Jimi Hendrix, yeah, and and you know he died at twenty seven. Twenty seven. Like, how the fuck is that possible? I know the guy looked like old beyond his years. He was wise. People seemed to be you know dressed properly. You think of the Beatles wrote everything, everything between twenty one and twenty eight. It's crazy. I mean, they'd finished by the time they were twenty eight. Yeah, I'm forty three. I'm carrying a Boba Fett helmet round with me. <laughs> it's like what? It's, what? Yeah, we don't know how to. Like, I think that somewhere along the line, that's right. The infantilization led us, you know, who were approaching middle age. I mean, I don't know what to wear. I know. Like, I, I just don't. What's age appropriate? Still wearing, like, you know, silly T-shirts and shorts. Yeah, and I tried to get away from the silly T-shirts. <laughs> you know, but yeah, I am wearing a silly T-shirt. Right. No, I wasn't referring to you. No, yours. I know, but it was good. I think <laughs> I, I think the, 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 the weird thing is, this is all predicted. I remember being, you know, studiously reading John Baudrillard at university and him talking. This, this is big Baudrillard, essay. yeah. Which one? Which one? Called which America. One? Great. It's great. The great one with essay. the... the, the 
the, the coffee table that's style right, book. Yeah. Oh, it's great. And that's that all that that has a whole thing about it about infantilization about how the the populace is being encouraged to consume childish things because it kind of keeps us in a state of arrested development and makes us easier to control. Yes. And now you look at all the big films. Yeah. They're all childish things. It's all yep. space and superheroes. Even if you dress it up in kind of like moody darkness and have Superman sure, not wearing his sure. red pants, it's still okay. Superman. Yeah. And yeah, exactly. And also it also creates a populace that never feels quite complete. Like yeah. they're constant that need. It's like when's more? How come I can't Yeah, 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 yeah. oh it's shiny. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so you read Baudrillard in in college. Was that your what was a what was that world? Were you into filling your head with that stuff? Yeah, I loved all that stuff. I yeah. kind of wrote my dissertation on on popular cinema, like Star Wars and Raiders and all that. What was the angle? It was all about. It was like a Marxist overview of hegemonic discourses and. Wow. Yeah. What? What? Can I can't you, think in those terms anymore. What's like, a hegemonic discourse? Well, you know, like. Hegemony is uh, hegemony is like, and this feeds also feeds back into the world's end because the 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 bad guys in the world's end are a hegemony. They're a kind of like non-aggressive force of change. So we're controlled basically by by a, a, an ideology which kind of tells us what to think insidiously. It makes it, it we consume certain things. We uh, if something comes along which is kind of counter-cultural, it's it's rather than being stopped like you yeah. would in a communist country, right. it's kind of it's embraced. Right, we, uh, made uh, uh, Big Brother is watching us, and that's what we pay him for. Yeah, it's like like <laughs> yeah, punk. Yeah. Say punk comes along, punk, you know, it, it throws everything into chaos, and then but gradually, then you start being able to buy punk wigs in joke shops. Right, it and, gets uh, it gets appropriated yeah, by exactly. the uh, the uh, by the marketplace. Yeah, yeah. Look, Monty Python is a great example. Monty yeah. Python, really subversive, very funny, but it's on the BBC. So the very the very sort of uh, you know the 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 very thing that it's satirizing is the thing that it gives it to you. That's right, and by that it becomes. But that, but the British were you know able to deal with that. Yeah, they allowed it absolutely because they realized that that satire is healthy. Yeah, and, and that uh, you know that there's a long tradition of satire. I mean, here's something goes on TV in one of the major networks. If it pisses off three people who are have the wherewithal to write an email, they're going to be like, "We're sorry, we're sorry." I, I know, know, which like, is crazy. It's it's fucking horrendous. And I think there's a there's a, there's an argument that comedy as a form of change or satire is actually is actually reactionary because it enables you to experience the feeling of revolution. You're going, yeah, I hate yeah. you. Yeah. But then you just go back to normal afterwards. Right. Yeah, when you I laugh. hate you and that's hilarious. That's why I love, yeah. like, you watch, like, The Daily Show is a show that we just don't have a satirical program like that on the on, on British TV. You that's, don't? No, and that that's, it's really, really, I mean, it's, it's really biting. And, and the Colbert Report, it says yeah. things that we would never see on British TV. But, would, but why is it? Oh, I mean, you wouldn't be able to answer that. But it seems that there are a political satirists in Britain and that the, the lines are drawn differently in Britain. Some very good ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So when you were in, in college, you were writing about Star Wars. You were doing a, a, a Marxist critique of it. Yeah. And what what did you end up graduating with? I mean, what what was your plan? I got a, I got a BA in uh, theater, film, and TV. Yeah, two one, which is quite a good mark. Yeah, and uh, I I kind of I, I wanted to be an actor, but I went to university rather than drama school. And during that period, I'd always been interested in stand up and and as a as a performance thing. And when I started learning about acting, and I realized that I might be at the mercy of casting agents and and other people's decisions, I kind of wanted a bit more autonomy. So I thought, I'll be a stand up because yeah. I love stand up, and yeah. I listened to my used to listen to my dad's Bill Cosby albums when yeah. I was a kid. And, the best, yeah. And yeah. Uh, 
And so that's what I did. And I, I, I went, it's, rather than becoming an actor, I, I went into stand-up and was a stand-up for quite a while before I, I sort of drifted back into acting. So how long did you do stand-up for? I guess from about nine, for about 10 years. And who were the, who were the guys that were, uh, you know, you were hanging out with? Because you know, like, I, I know a few British comics. I've interviewed Stuart Lee. Yes, I've, Stuart. I, I've, I've interviewed uh, Simon Munnery. I went. I, I supported Simon Munnery on tour. Uh huh. Yeah. And I interviewed. Uh, I wanted to interview Jerry Sadowitz, but he was too sad. <laughs> Apparently, <laughs> yeah, uh, he's had some issues at Jerry. I yeah, think. but I mean, you know, when somebody turned me on to Stuart Lee, I was like, holy fuck! Yeah, he's an, he's in, he's a brilliant comic. I mean, just. I mean, someone whose satire is utterly, utterly, uh, you know, searing. Yeah, and it, and it crushed him for a while. I mean, he had to take a break. Yeah, yeah, because he wasn't feeling received or understood. Absolutely, because he's 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 got so much integrity. It, you know, he's hasn't been he's not prepared to do anything other than what he believes right. in. Right, and he took you know that was a big lesson I learned from him. It's yeah. like you know he realized when people and he was disappointing people that you know instead of getting angry at them. His big realization was like, yeah, you know, I, I what I'm doing is going to really be what it is. Yeah. I'm sorry you made the wrong choice tonight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's nothing I can Which do. Which is so admirable. I've seen him live before, and it, it's stunning, I think. Well, when you did stand-up, who were who were the guys hanging around? Well, Simon and yeah. uh, and Stuart were definitely around. Uh, the big names of the time were sort of Frank Skinner, Bill Bailey. Um, who you worked with on your show. I did, yeah. yeah. Bill uh, is, is an old friend. Um, I was working with people like Boothby Graffo, who else did I support? Sean Locke, who's a very good comic. Um, it was a very vibrant time. The, the early 90s in London was a great time for stand-up. There was a, a lot of sort of smaller pub clubs. It's been corporatized now a little bit, weirdly, getting back to the world's end again. Yeah. Uh, the, the sort of jongleurs, the, yeah, yeah, the, yeah. those kind of slightly more right, know, right. Yeah. guys after work kind of comedy clubs. Yeah, you know? it's, a, it's a little disturbing, isn't it? Yeah. What kind of stuff were you doing primarily? Mainly kind of uh, whimsical, uh, sort of observational, surreal sort of stuff. Yeah, and what'd you get out of out of your experience? I mean, you're in it ten years. I mean, you were you could have been in it for the long haul. I loved it. I really loved it. And and the only reason I stopped was because because the TV took over, space took over, and I didn't have time to stay match fit with you know you know it's, it's, you got to stay in shape. Yeah, you got to yeah, stay yeah, in shape. Sure. You know it's you like, got you got to get in the sharp. ring. Yeah, yeah you yeah. do. Keep that 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 uh, connection to that audience happening, or else you're going to be frightened in your corner. Yeah, because okay. you do. You go two weeks, don't you? And oh, yeah. you come back yeah. and you're like, oh, I'm okay. shaky. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know how to do this, right? I know how to do this. Yeah, and I kind of oh, I tell you what it was. I went on tour with Steve Coogan for a year. Yeah, he's and, a see, he's a guy that I'm just like now getting you know. To yeah. know, and I know you did. What was the Alan Partridge? Alan Partridge, stuff. which is incredible. Yeah, like it's like that's all. That whole world is is new to me. Yeah, it's brilliant. There, there's a new thing he did called The Places in My Life. You've got to watch that. It's it's. Doesn't he have a movie coming out? He does, but I don't know. I, that that's going to be interesting to see because in that he'll be a hero. And I always think Steve works better as a kind of a the guy who's getting scumbag. the short end of the stick. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, but. He, he's one of he, he makes me laugh more than most people but the Alan Partridge thing is, is sort of a satire of British television personality yeah. and right? it, it's he's this monstrous TV presenter and uh, it started off in a radio show and yeah. it, it it became really popular on a show called The Day Today which is an, uh, one of the most incredible new satires ever made I often think that there are parts of The Daily Show which draw on the kind of that bombastic right. pomposity yeah, yeah. That, that news has yeah uh, the day to day was that, and then he had his own chat show, and he's just done stuff ever since. But he was a stand-up. He was kind of like an impressionist, really. Oh, really? And I, he did a number of characters, and I went on tour. I supported him on tour for a year, uh-huh. and I, I was doing his show, and I was doing my own stuff, my own character comedy in his show. But at the end of '98, 
I'd done this TV show called Big Train, which is a sketch show, which uh, was in a very sort of Python-esque, sort of mm-hmm. very surreal, very funny show. And and that led to other things. And I hadn't done any of my own material for a year. And I got to the end of that year and thought, oh, geez, what am I going to do now? Right. But just at that time, other things took over. And so almost by accident, I left stand-up behind as as, as I had been doing it. Well, in, okay, let's talk about the, the British television industry a little bit. So you were able to create space... Uh, with uh, with Edgar and with uh, what what Jessica, Jessica. Yeah, yeah but it seems to me that and I might be mistaken that you know if you pay your dues you know in the UK and you're visible and you know and and you come up with a good idea that you'll you'll probably get your opportunity. I look back on space and think that was lucky that we got that show made. We 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 got approached. We'd done a show for the Paramount Comedy Channel. There was a producer that had left to go work for a a company that would that was related to ITV, which was the third channel. Yeah. He said to me and Jess, uh, "Do you, can we make a vehicle for you guys to be in?" They were looking for stuff to make at the time. And had you worked on stage together or No, we'd just been in this show uh called Asylum which Edgar had directed. It's the first time we ever worked with Edgar. And we, they were just sort of like looking for stuff. It was a very fertile time. They were yeah. like, you guys, you make something for us. Right. Because they weren't sure what, they were right. kind of going to young people and saying, you must know what's what. Right. Yeah, <laughs> you yeah. do something. Yeah, come on. We, we need to bring yeah. in the kids. Help us. We're losing the kids. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so by sheer, by sheer chance, we wound up getting, you know, seven episodes, which is, which is actually one more than usual at Channel 4, without even making a pilot. And they commissioned the second season before the first season had even aired, and that just would not happen these days. Well, it was—it's it, a pretty ballsy show, you, you know, because it's fresh in my mind because I wanted to know it before I, I spoke to you. Yeah, and you know, you could never do a character like Brian on American television. No, and you could never like you know be as candid about you know drug use and and, and all that other stuff in in a, in a network American comedy like the character that you played and the and and also your and Mike and Nick Frost character. You just you'd never see that shit here. You know what was really weird was that we they tried to reversion it for here. Uh, the, a, a, an American TV company picked. Oh, they're going to remake it. Yeah, like they, they did The Office or something. Yeah, yeah, but but they did a pilot and it was it was unbelievably bad. And uh, they they removed all the references to casual drug use, and they removed all the references to guns. That you know, because Mike is like this kind of weapon. You yeah, know, he's like an army nut. Right, but. You're allowed to have like howitzers in your garden in America. That's right. They, <laughs> they wouldn't do it. They wouldn't allow him to talk and about it, guns. And I also think like the whole idea of being, you know, on the dole or, or the way that Britain works in terms of unemployment, yeah. the way that Britain works in terms of, you know, just the social fabric, you know, enables these personalities to sort of, you know, exist for real. Yeah. Here, I don't know how they'd even do that. I mean, how would they make that? I mean, there's a judgment involved in saying like, oh, these two are. They're not slackers, but you know you understand her character. She just can't get a handle on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But but people are like that. Yeah, but the country sort of takes care of them. And here, that in and of itself would be like, he's unemployed. Look at that. What a scumbag. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. But it's sort of like just the way it is. Yeah, it's funny looking back at it in that respect. That I mean, we we felt completely unrepresented. That was what it was. We were watching a lot of a lot of shows that were on TV about twenty somethings, and and they were just trying to be like friends, right? And, and they just didn't speak to us. There was no, there was nothing about us on television. And Jess and I thought, let's make a show about us, right? And put it on TV, and, right? And it spoke to so many people. It, we, the response was so kind of passionate that that we realized that there were lots of other people just like us around, you know, that had the same kind of concerns and neuroses and yeah. and insecurities, and, and not everybody was really good looking. That's right, <laughs> and, it, and it was a big hit. Yeah, it was. I mean, in on, in a critically and in a cult way, it was on Channel Four. Uh-huh. 
So it got like a few million viewers every Friday night. It used to be on After Friends. Uh huh. So we get we pick up a little bit of their audience and uh, and it's endured. You know, in, in two thousand and eight, we came out on a tour of the states because it was released on DVD finally here, and it was insane the amount of people that came out to get it signed who'd who'd owned it on you know. Yeah, there's a lot of people here that 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 love. You and know, now it's on Netflix. It's yeah. like, you know, this is just That's a little show. Yeah. I had Dylan Morin in here, you know. And he oh, was you did? Talk- yeah, yeah, yeah. And he was talking about his series. Yeah. Black uh, Books. Yeah, Black Books. Brilliant, yeah. Which I had to, like, I'm like, I don't, I have to watch this. You know, and it was amazing because I don't, you don't see stuff like that. Yeah, You yeah. just don't see stuff like that here that, that has a discomfort, that has an edge to it, that has characters that you don't necessarily like. Well, but, even yeah. like even like a show like uh, Big Bang Theory, which is on here, which is dealing with a kind of subcultural element. Right. They're all still really good looking, and they all wear, wear different clothes every day. And, and also, they're joke delivery machines. Like you know, what what American television seems to be, you know, when it's successful, sadly, what it seems to do is like, all right, we've got our puppets, yeah, yeah, and we yeah. know what they need to say, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they, you you basically see the same show over and over again. I and mean, it, yeah, absolutely. And it's kind of relentlessly. It's a different. I guess it's a different dynamic. Uh, there's there's less room to be. And if you if there is emotion, it's quite sentimental. It's suddenly like on oh, a yeah, very yeah. special episode of yeah, Blossom. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Right, right. But none of the guys, you know, on Big Bang Theory are dealing with a sexual identity crisis. Yeah, yeah, they're, yeah. You know, they're not dealing with uh, you know drugs. Yeah. They're not like in any casual or at all. You you know where to have a guy like Brian, you know, who you know is sexually ambiguous and ambiguous, and, and also has this weird you know just idea that he's an artist it's like i loved it yeah i mean I, I loved all the characters but i and i know this is old news but I, I i just you don't see that it was nice to finally get mark who played brian into the world's end because we've been trying saw, to yeah yeah yeah, he, yeah. He, he, we, he, we wrote a part for him in Shaun of the dead but had to lose the character in the end because of timing he couldn't be in hot fuzz because he hurt his back uh-huh. so everyone just assumed we didn't like him anymore or something but it was just sheer you well, know it is interesting that before we get into the crew that you work with in, in the new movie like what a what what are the benefits and how does it work in in when you're making uh, TV in the UK that because usually there's only a few seasons here they yeah. try to you know they try to get a hundred episodes yeah, yeah I mean that's the big goal how do we get a hundred episodes but it seems like in the UK you're like well let's you know, let's do the best ones we have without is there a thought I mean is every season your last in your mind or I mean I don't know it's I I guess you never assume you're going to get another series it's yeah. like and I think maybe because we're we're trying to appeal to less people uh-huh. obviously there's much more money in the American film uh, television industry and, and as in as the film industry and the advertising's different it, there are different priorities and impetus and you know we thought we'll get a first we'll do seven episodes and then we did another seven episodes and we kind of wanted to do another series but because we did Shaun of the Dead and everything sort of changed when we did that and we preferred that environment to work in because we're you know working in TV we were making a very, very ambitious show for not much money. And, oh, yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and I don't mean in terms of what we were getting paid. I mean, in terms of what we were given to sure, make it. Sure, sure. Uh, and it was it was hard. And, it, you know, it was soul-destroying at times. And suddenly the film industry felt a little bit more a bit more freedom and a bit sure. more scope. Yeah. And we didn't really want to go back to the kind of restrictions we've been working but, under. But I think the benefit of it is, uh, you know, in retrospect, or I don't know if that's the right word, is that you know, what you end up with with a lot of British TV series is that, like, they only made... yeah. 20 well we call it the curse of faulty towers it's like faulty towers only did two seasons and it became like this model so loads of shows like the young ones and the office and Mm -hmm. space as well you know it's this sort of two season thing it's like the cool number i think some of those shows i think ricky gervais's office could have gone on a lot longer sure and it should have done right it would have saved us two series of extras if he'd done that do you know what i mean (laughs) 
so <laughs> it, I, it, it had its moments. <laughs> it would have that been that moment with David Bowie on extras is. It, See, I hated that though because it's like it, no, that wouldn't happen. There was no, there was no, never. I, a, I know there was never a, a, a VIP area in the Groucho no, Club. Right. And David Bowie would never have sung that yeah, song. Absolutely, but that was just Ricky saying, "I know David Bowie." All right, I, I, I agree. <laughs> but I guess I'm a fan of Bowie, and to see him keep repeating it, was, yeah, was sort of no. Funny. It was funny. It was Are you funny. friends with Ricky Gervais? I am. Yeah, I, I yeah. We we sort of. It's, uh, cap- it's possible to be friends with Ricky. We have it. We have a we have a friendship of sorts he's like ricky's an incredible publicly he has zero humility yeah he would never say anything nice about anyone he's yeah. he's incredibly competitive and it's not enough that he be the best everyone else has to die horribly in person he actually has some humility and he's very sweet and are you can, telling me that's a character he or can be a nice guy which one no, is the real ricky i think the real ricky is probably the public one okay. no no the real the real one the real one is the guy that you meet and you 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 have dinner with and he's very funny okay. and personable and nice the public ricky is a dick sometimes yeah. you know he says things he's never said anything nice about anyone he's said horrible things about us you know really and yeah in, in, in person he'll tell me that uh, he wrote you know they used to write sketches for me before they did The Office because uh-huh. sure why wouldn't he tell you that but then he'd say oh, but I'd never say that in public and yeah. I'm like, oh cheers thanks yeah man. yeah that's great Good so I, I, I hate public Ricky but I like private Ricky okay I, I understand that that, that was diplomatic <laughs> <laughs> alright so w- let's talk about the relationship between you and, and Nick Frost and, and Edgar Wright because you know, it seemed that, I don't know where it came from, uh, whether it was the writing or, or Edgar's vision, but it seemed that even from space that, you know, genre play and it was you know, it was really a style that you guys didn't invent. I mean, there, there seems to be a pace to the way you yeah. fool around with formats that I, I think might be original to you. Is it? I don't know. I think with space, it was simply that we never tried to jump on any kind of bandwagons or anything, but we, as I said, being that being a child of the 70s being a yeah. child of popular culture of the tv revolution the vcr revolution of of the demythologization of television and all that kind of stuff we wanted to write a series about two people who live their lives through the prism of popular culture okay. so space was almost like so that was the agenda you said yeah, it was you, like who'd you sit down and have that conversation it was with me Ed? and jessica basically oh, oh so we, okay. we wanted to write a flat share sitcom about two people who's it was almost like the show was like how they described their lives. Yeah. It's like, oh my god, I went to the, I went into the bank and it was like the Matrix. But you just saw it all literally, you know. Right. All, all those kind of references were like. But Cuckoo's Nest, I mean, that was a weird pull and it was kind of great. Yeah, yeah, were, yeah. I mean, you milked that one more than most of them. <laughs> yeah, that was a quite an extended metaphor. Yeah, yeah, that yeah, one, yeah. yeah. But that was like, imagine, imagine, you know, your friend came back from a restaurant and said, "Oh my god, the kitchen." It was like one floor of the Cuckoo's Nest. Right. But instead of uh, relating that, we actually show it. You know, yeah, that was the idea. Yeah, it's great. But that, but that style has defined your entire career yeah. in terms of your output. Well, in that way, we, we were trying to use those those references li- as little Trojan horses to say certain things about their lives. And what we did with the movies was uh, on that on a grander scale. So we appropriate like the zombie movie, and which is something a lot of people recognize, and use that as a way to do a French a, a film about friendship and re- and relationships, you know, because yeah, that's what it's about, with really. With your friend tied in the backyard. Yeah, yeah, it's about letting go of old friendships and moving on and being an adult. You know, Hot Fuzz was also a kind of about male friendship and about how sometimes you have to dumb down a little bit if you want to get something done. And we dressed that up as a cop film. You know, The World's End is a film about nos- the dangers of nostalgia and the the, the loss of identity, but it's we use a science fiction film to say that so right, personal identity and cultural identity yeah so kind of popular culture is like our kind of palette it's like our that's what we use to say that's our reference grid you know right it's, it's but but it, it also works to uh 
the, the strange thing is, is I understand that as a vision and as a way of saying like, well, that's what I grew up with. So that's how I see the world. But I mean, by doing what you do, you were able to sort of put a lot of heart into really kind of pretty cutting satirizations and yeah. also uh, homages of these forms. You, you know, it's like I, I think, you know, you know, you, if you look at the poets or whatever but in, of the past, you know, they always they always use metaphor to get ideas across to put to communicate sure. emotions that's what we're doing except what we're drawing on is a far more sort of facile kind of bunch of things which is film and tv and video yeah. games you know right but people get it i think that's why Shaun of the dead ended up get you know opening some doors for us here because the american audience recognized the language we are using which is zombie movies because it's an american tradition you know sure. from romero so right. that's how we managed to br bridge the cultural gap a little bit i think and do you, is has that been a why do you think uh you know, i guess we can talk about that is that you know i know there are definitely a, is an audience in america for british comedy yes and everything British. Yes. Yeah, I, there, it's a very odd thing because you know <laughs> you, there, there are some people that it's like, oh, I don't care what it is as long as it has that accent. It sounds so important. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think that is? Have you ever thought about it? To the people who are Anglophiles who you've talked to in your life? Yeah. Do you think it's a, it, what, what do you think drives that? I think w part of it is that it's a different perspective in exactly the same language. There's a big, there's a big thing with us is that we speak the same language. Right. That's why there are so many British actors in Hollywood. It's not because British actors are better than actors in Europe. It's that we speak the same language yeah. and there's a point of connection for us which enables us to kind of swap. Right. It's a different perspective. I think, you know, I get that sometimes. It's so weird when you say something on the phone, you know, to an American and they go, oh my God, you sound so sophisticated. Yeah, yeah. And you're like, well, I just asked for a b burrito. <laughs> <laughs> wow. wow pasta yeah <laughs> is that how you say it pasta <laughs> i don't know it's it's a strange thing I, I maybe it's because there's a maybe because this is a relatively new country yeah and 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 britain is ancient and there's a kind of a you know the, the obsession with the royal baby over here has been phenomenal i mean people keep saying oh my god oh has she had it yet and we're like what who what <laughs> oh them oh them yeah you know and it, it, it's because of that that kind of sense of history and uh yeah i'm always i'm always it's there it's like star wars to us yeah <laughs> <laughs> well, that's it's like Game of Thrones to us. When yeah. you look at Star Wars, in, in Star Wars, all the older characters, all the slightly more, the, 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 you know, the, the villains yeah. and the characters of authority, they're all usually played by British actors. Even the older Jedis, because yeah. they represent an older order. Right. And all the youngsters, they're all American and right. thrusting and, and, you know. That's and some that, smart shit. Yeah, that's, that's what it was saying, you yeah. know. And they were trying to leave this old order behind in a way and, and, and get away from this imperialistic idea, which is, I think, was with the British. But yeah, absolutely. And yet still they, they come back to it, you know, and uh, and I think as the world's getting smaller with the internet and stuff and yeah. YouTube and our ability to share each other's culture a bit more, like BBC America's on now, this whole interest in British television is is bigger than ever now. Do you think there's a difference in the audience? I mean, I, I know you've spoken to it before, but, you know... I guess I can only speak for myself. You know, I, I liked Python and I like I, I think that my experience with British comedy was that it always seemed more broad, yeah. uh, less personal, uh, you know, a little bit more, um, you know, sort of, um, you know, bigger. But like, you know, when I watch something like your show, uh, like Spaced or The Office or anything else, is that it, was there a time in British comedy that you can identify where where something that was more prevalent in america which was you know speaking you know in a neurotic way or self-effacing way or or like you know without uh you know without romanticizing things or wigs and stuff was there a shift in, in england i don't know it's yeah maybe i it's interesting in a way because what we what 
I remember from American comedy as a kid was very broad uh, because basically we were seeing each other's mainstream output, even right. even Python, you know, because it that I mean that the, the way that became popular here is incredible. The Hollywood Bowl thing, I still look at that and think, how did that happen? I just remember someone telling me about it and it had to, it was on PBS here. Yeah, it was like the public you know broadcasting that way. No one fucking watched that. It was probably you know, so exotic. It, it just, and it came on late at night. Yeah. It was on film. It yeah. looked like it was film. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It didn't look like television. I'm yeah. like, who the fuck are these guys and <laughs> what what is going on here? But when I talk about you know so many times here, uh, if I meet someone who's not. Maybe maybe not the kind of person who would be into Shaun of the Dead and you mentioned British comedy, they'll go, Oh, Benny Hill. Yeah. Well, or yeah. Are, are you being served? Or you know, stuff that was and I'm sure there were smaller things that we that were going on in America that that you know, that we never saw. Much more personal, much right. more that's smarter, right. I, drier. I think that's probably right. Nowadays that stuff is is it's easier to, to access it. Like I can watch Portlandia now, yeah. even though it's not on British TV, because I can watch it on the internet. Right, you know shows like Curb Your Enthusiasm, yeah. or Larry Sanders, which was oh, an incredible yeah. great show. show. Yeah, great show. The, the, to the end, towards the end of the nineties, you know, we started to see, we started to get access to each other a little more and realize what was going on underneath. Right, you know, right. the more personal stuff, and that you know that coincides with Spaced and and, yeah. and the, the rise of shows like you know even Seinfeld and Curb. And, sure. Yeah. You know. Well, it's funny. Yeah, there was a time in America where all we got, I think, was Masterpiece Theater, Benny Hill, and Monty Python. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> Alistair Cook talking about things. I, I know. As a it, child. I mean, you just sort of. Uh, I would. I would just hang my head in shame whenever anyone. Oh yeah, yeah. Betty Hill. No. <laughs> Some sort of chubby old pervert chasing a bald man and some did, women. Did anyone in a respect him in Britain? Did he was get- very popular to the in the same way that that kind of stuff. You yeah. know, there is a broad comedy here that would yeah. that would be very popular. You right, know. right. I guess that's true. Because I know there was a lot of underground guys and you know that yeah. you know around punk rock like the Munnery, and- like but Munnery, it's like he's hard to wrap your brain around. Absolutely, he's he's willfully kind of goes against what yeah. you expect. And, K- and Kitson is a is a genius. Yeah. and it's like you don't know where that comes well, from. Well, in the yeah. same way that people like Lenny Bruce would like sure. actively try to die on stage just to challenge you. That yeah. kind of stuff is terribly exciting so the like the new movie um it was interesting because my uh, i went to see like it was weird because i wanted to see it before i talked to you they wouldn't send me a screener right and i couldn't make the screening and then it got down to this sort of like they're doing one for you i'm like oh my <laughs> god so <laughs> the screening room in beverly hills i didn't know what to expect and when you know when when it opens with you in that aa meeting yeah i'm like well this is interesting this is gonna be some you know deep shit here and we're <laughs> yeah. gonna, gonna go through a journey that that uh you know this is a, a personal struggle with substance i can relate to this and then all of a sudden it's like what happened in the men's room (laughs) where where did this go it's a pretty amazing turn yeah and and for me like the poetry of it and and what it was saying about culture was you know was was great you know because i'm not a huge sci-fi guy yeah yeah, so there was part of me that's like oh here we go you know but but then by the end i was like well there's a real message here about absolutely and the, the important thing as well is that when that left turn happens in the movie and it is a heck of a left turn yeah uh it doesn't stop being about what it started to be about, which is the pub crawl. That's what right. Gary is there to do. Right. And in a way, the fact that he continues to it get and uses it as an excuse to carry on with it, yeah. it says a lot about how selfish addicts are, you yeah. know, and, oh, and, no, and, definitely. and how kind of focused they are on getting what they want yeah. in the next minute. Right. And not, not thinking about tomorrow or anything like that. And that's Gary all the way, you know. He's kind of, 
he uses essentially a, a kind of, you know. <laughs> no matter how apocalyptic things yeah. are going to get, <laughs> yeah. he's going to get all those beers. In. I'm going to drink my beers because that's all he cares about. It's a suicide mission for Gary. And in the end, it's like takes a, it's takes like essentially an intergalactic intervention is what happens in the end. You know, he's, <laughs> yeah. he's back in a circle at the end of the film. So when when you came up with the film, I mean, did, you know, and you put a, a, an addict at the at the center of it. Was that was that the seed of the idea? What happened was Edgar and I were traveling from uh, Sydney. We were in Wellington again, weirdly enough. And we went. We were traveling to Sydney and Edgar had this idea about a film, about a pub crawl when he was younger called Crawl. He'd written it and it was yeah. about f five 19-year-old boys on this night out. Yeah. And he suddenly, we'd, we'd shot World's End, uh, sorry, The Hot Fuzz in uh, in his hometown. And so we both of us had this experience of going back to our hometowns because I lived quite near to him when I grew up. And sensing this odd feeling of familiarity and alienation you, you everything's the same and yet it's totally different and, and we get that here too yeah it's, yeah, it's, it's for the same reason partly it's different because you've changed partly it's different because yeah other things have come there are new shops in the high street people yeah. don't recognize you and we thought it'd be funny to have that to make a film about that sense of ennui but it's because it's, it's been invaded by alien robots yeah that was the kind of thing it was yeah, like yeah. a really serious setup and then we went but away was, for is that, do, but is that a moment that when you and edgar have that moment like you know do, do you say like well that sounds pretty you know deep and yeah and, and, and a little bit uh a, a little bit disturbing let's let's relieve ourselves <laughs> yeah yeah well let's <laughs> but, use it's feeling a bit too honest we should yeah, try right. and yeah you, you you experienced that though? Yeah, we thought it's it's a bit too earnest, you know. Because you're like, leave that to Mike Lee. Yeah, well, this is the thing. I mean, Shaun of the Dead was supposed to be like a Mike Lee film with zombies, and uh, we, with World's End, it was yeah. like this is too this is too real. We need to we need to tip tip it on its side a bit, so we'll bring in the sci-fi element. But it it never is just about that. The sci-fi yeah. element just exacerbates everything. Right. It it it. it invigorates Gary to carry on with the poker roll. He thinks that c continuing the poker roll is the only way to go. He doesn't really. He just wants to finish his beers, but he convinces the other guys that we should keep going. This is important. And well, they just follow him because they fall back into their old roles. And, and also, like, you know, by the middle of the movie, you realize that none of the other guys were that happy. No, that, yeah, like, exactly. Like that all the your, your suppositions or the character of Gary's suppositions about their lives w was off. Yeah, and and that you know they were having their own problems, which we don't I think is also yeah. We don't prescribe any kind of. It's not like you should grow up and get married and have kids and get right. a job. What what we're kind of saying is the most important thing is that you're happy. Yeah, whatever that is, it's happiness. You know, Gary's not happy because he's, you know, he's an alcoholic and he's depressed and yeah, and know. he never he never snapped out of it. No, and he never snapped out. And and the rest of the guys are kind of you know they all say about Stephen he's got a company but it got bought out and he's less stressed and and he's doing corporate law when he really wanted to do family law, and so no one's happy. Right. And. uh and this is sort of reflected as the night goes on. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah, that evolution yeah. of the characters happens. Yeah. But I imagine during the shooting of that, you're like, you know, how do we balance it? Yeah, you yeah. Know, because, like, they're, they're, you know, once you know, once enough of that stuff starts flying around and, <laughs> yeah. and the alien thing becomes, you know, all all invasive, yeah. it becomes sort of hard to have those reflections of sort of like, I'm not happy. Yeah, I know. But what it becomes then is about nostalgia, about the fact that there's a speech in the movie that Eddie Marzan's character makes about this bully that he sees and who who doesn't recognize him, and and he's pissed off because it's it's he says it's like it all meant nothing, you know. And that's the fact a, that's is, a great moment. Yeah, and childhood 
does mean something. And the relationships sure. we have when we're kids, you know, all our emotional, our, our emotional barometer is set when we're t- we're very small and very young. And all the stuff that happens when we're kids, it's not a rehearsal for life. It is life. It's and, it's how you're wired. Yeah, it's totally. And you can't just go back and see all those people and see the kid that beat you up in the toilets and go, Do you remember that day? Yeah, oh yeah. man, I was so bleeding. It it's, it still hurts. Oh you know? yeah, and the the greatest thing that can happen, you know, if you you have the fortitude for it, is to go to your twenty fifth high school reunion. Yeah, just to see those jocks, yeah, you know, all fat and bald, and you're like, oh, I'm gonna let that go, I guess. Yeah, look what happened. And not be, and not be bitter about right. it or not. Right. And the fact is, in the movie, it's very. It's only after a few beers that they yeah. all return back to how they used to be. You know, they fall into line. It's it's you know, Andy becomes the protector, and Steve's like the second in command. And well, it's, you know. it's interesting that in that movie, and also in. Um, in space, the dynamic between you and Nick Frost is that, like, you did some fucked up thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, you know, kind of remains unspoken for a good portion of yeah. it. Yeah. Gary's, Gary's a terrible I mean, he's like the villain of the film as much as he is the hero. You well, know? what's your relationship with Nick in real life? We've, we've known each other for 20 years, and, and, and we kind of we met uh, as humans, not as actors. You Where? Know, in, in Cricklewood, in North London. I moved to London from Bristol University in ni- early 90s. Uh, my girlfriend at the time got a job at a Mexican restaurant nearby, came back one night and said, there's a guy at work, he's really funny, I think he kind of wants to do stand-up, do you think yeah. you can put him in touch with a few clubs? I was like, yeah, I've been doing it like a year. Yeah, yeah, I thought sure. I was like Yoda. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'll give you a list. And then, so I took him out to his first few gigs. I met him at a party, and uh, we got on really well straight away, and I, I took him out to a few gigs. He kind of did 10 gigs in the end. Five were great, five were the lowest point in his life. He, he did, he so that's really where like that it. dynamic started. Yeah. Why'd you get me into this? Well, it was kind of, but he was like, I, all the time I was like, you got to, he's, he's literally the funniest person I've ever met. Sure. He makes me laugh like nobody else. And I was in a, my social circle was comedians and none of them were as funny as Nick. And I was like, how is this, how does how this do work? Oh yeah. But he couldn't quite translate his natural funniness. Isn't that interesting? To a performance. Yeah. It's fascinating. It happens a lot. Yeah. I mean, there, that, yeah, there are guys that I know like off stage. It's like, oh my God, why, how come you're not? Yeah. And then they get on stage and they, I, there was this one guy who was like a, an improvisational genius yeah. off stage and you just want to hang around him and then he get on stage and he do the same fucking 10 minutes yeah 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 every time and you're like why aren't just we it's were just weird, in the it? car there's a process and i don't know what it is but he he, he couldn't, couldn't do it yeah and does he know what it was i mean it was I it think a comfort level stuck at it. it it was he was embarrassed you know and he was nervous on stage sure I cut my teeth in the university comedy clubs where there were it's a, quite a partisan crowd. They were quite nice to you, so my confidence grew there. And you know what it's like: half sure. the struggle is confidence. And he never yeah. quite nailed that. Right, you got to spend you know, most of your career pretending like you're not afraid. Exactly. And yeah. then one day it's like, oh, it's gone. Yeah, and then suddenly you can take yeah, on anybody. Yeah, exactly. So five years later, you know, we've been just become friends best yeah. friends and jess and i got the opportunity to write space and nick used to do this character for us you know for shits and giggles in the yeah. pub of mike the the territorial army guy the yeah. kind of reservist guy yeah. who was and i said to nick look if i write this character into this sitcom will you just be in the sitcom because yeah. you've got to you can't be a fucking waiter forever right when you're this talented <laughs> and he's like all right and um, and that's how it happened you know so we were friends a long time before we were colleagues you know? and that's the other thing about the about spaced and about especially about space is that you had all these weird it, it, there was you know the the sexuality yeah issues of, of brian and of mike and yeah, then yeah. of your friendship it's sort of like you never see that it, it's sort of like what's going on yeah well, nick, that's the funny thing is nick and i when we sort of i when the girl that introduced us basically was this my girlfriend at the time she 
d- very unceremoniously dumped me for this other guy and it was terrible it was awful and it actually formed the basis of space that whole being dumped by a girl so I went to live with Nick on in his crab pit flat in Crickerwood. I used to sleep on his floor. Yeah. And then like after one day he said, I'll oh, just sleep, get in the bed and sleep top to tail with me. So we slept top to tail for a while. And then eventually it was so comfortable that, you know, nothing was going to happen. We were quite, quite, quite confident with our sexualities. We'd sleep next to each other, like, you know, like Laurel and Hardy. Yeah, yeah. And so for the longest time we had this really easy physical relationship where there was no kind of, oh, get off me, you fag, kind yeah, of, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. silliness. And, and, and that became the, the 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 basis of Mike and Tim's relationship. It was a very easy male relationship where yeah, yeah. you can be affectionate with each other, you can love each other, yeah, yeah. and it doesn't have to be some you know. And even if it does turn into something, right. which it didn't, but if it does, it's okay. Yeah, well, that was coming. You know, yeah. yeah so well, we needed <laughs> yeah, yeah, to do that. Yeah, 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 clearly, yeah. 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 So our, our sort of um, our friendship over the years, and this we always sort of flinch at this sort of bromance buzzword that's come up as if it's there's worse, no there's worse. no there's no equivalent for women because it's not weird if women are friends, right? Suddenly it's, suddenly, it's such a modern phenomenon that guys can be honestly friends with each other and not have to pat each other on the back. They right, can actually, like, hey, bro, come here, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah a little of that. Because of the, te- the, you know, because of homosexual terror yeah. that straight guys and, have. And macho garbage. Yeah, it's, it's ridiculous. Yeah, know? yeah, yeah. Now they have to, there has to be this word for it. And yeah, it's, yeah. it's just, it's crazy. It is, it's, it's sad is what it is. It is totally yeah. sad. But uh, now with Edgar, like in, in terms of the style of like, like, again, from watching Spaced, that the sort of quick cut and yeah. the games and the, you know, the punchlines, you know, that are the, the fast moving camera and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, was that something that he was doing before he met you or is that something you guys came up with together? Is that his thing? That's his thing. I think he, he kind of when you look at his early, early, early films that no yeah. one saw, I think there's one on the Hot Fuzz DVD. It's like on Hi8 video or something. Oh, really? Like a cop thing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that was his thing and I think because he was a big fan of Sam Raimi he was a big fan of the Coen brothers like Raising Arizona is a is a absolute oh, mark, guess, you know. oh you know what I see that there, there's yeah. sort of a template for yeah, you, you know, what you can do and he that was um, for both of us that was a film where we thought oh so you can the camera can be funny as well and the direction can be funny and it's not just pointing the camera at funny people you can say stuff with the way that the camera whizzes in on something yeah you know? oh that was the that was the big mind Absolutely. blower and for Edgar it was like when Jess and I wrote Spaced we were like we need someone who can bring this we don't know how to do this visually yeah we'd written the scripts but we didn't have a visual language for it and Edgar was the last part of that jigsaw and, and we always Edgar's the even though Edgar didn't write the show he's the third writer on the show in terms of because he wrote the look of it you know? oh yeah well he was able to sort of like uh you know, kind of do these weird homages that were satiric but dead on yeah 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 to, to things and is what is he as much of a film tv nerd as oh, you are more, more so he's he's so fluent in uh in cinema he speaks cinema you know oh, yeah. he, he just he, he he's totally possessed by it all and he's yeah he's more knowledgeable about film than I am. So okay, so raising Arizona, man. Uh, you know that that movie was a big influence. Yeah. Do you know what he that character is based on? H.R. McDonough. That yeah. No. Wiley Coyote from the Roadrunner. Uh, really? How fucking great is that? So they were doing a riff almost like you guys did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because if you think of the Roadrunner cartoons. Oh yeah, because doesn't he have a Roadrunner tattoo on his yeah, arm? Yeah, yeah, he does. Yeah, but, but Wiley Coyote just—you know—he's the sympathetic guy that just gets fucked every time by that bird. <laughs> yeah. And when when I heard that that's what he was based on, I was like, those guys are geniuses. It is a brilliant movie, and I I love the Coen Brothers. When you look at the the variation in what they've Unbelievable. done, the 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 outright crazy comedy of that movie and then compared to like blood simple or, or, or miller's com- crossing or, or no no country or no for country all men. i'd love to be able to, I, I hope 
we're allowed to do that one day. I hope we're allowed to make a really serious movie, you know. We, uh, you can decide that. Yeah, but it's down, the audience might not want you to, you know. Sometimes they're like, it's like, you know, you said about Partridge, and you're going, come on, yeah, do your yeah. funny thing. But you've done serious roles. I yeah. have, yeah, yeah. I mean, you, you know, it seems like you've had an opportunity to, was there a point there where you felt like, you know, I'm going to go that route? I don't know. It's it's weird in a way because you comedy. If you're a dramatic actor, you're yeah. allowed to do comedy. But if right. you're a dr- if you're a comedy actor, people are less inclined. I I you see people like Jim Carrey or or uh, Steve Martin, Woody Allen, those guys who, particularly like Woody Allen, who, who resolutely went serious or right. or they they get frustrated because. Jim Carrey is a classic example. He did films like the, uh, you know, like uh, even even Cable Guy, which is a comedy, but it was darker. The audience are like, no, no, where's your all righty then thing? And, <laughs> you know, and he clearly wants to do, he has acting chops, Jim Carrey. He wants to do more serious stuff, but you can see there's a kind of frustration that, that he's not permitted to do it because he's so outrightly funny as a... Well, he keeps trying. He does. But when, what was your experience? Did you feel that? Did you feel that when you did it that there was a, a backlash? Or well, was I, it within you? I don't you? know yet. I haven't. I just did a show for uh, Frank Darabont's doing, um, who uh, did The Majestic, weirdly, with uh, Jim Carrey. In fact, I wore Jim Carrey's jacket in this thing. It's a strange circularity. <laughs> Do you uh, know him? I don't. Uh-huh. But uh, Frank did The Shawshank Redemption yeah. and uh, Green Mile, and he's doing a, a show for TNT called Lost Angels, which is all about the uh, 40s era struggle between the Cohen gang and the LAPD. Mm-hmm. Really, it's great. It's going to be Cohen. amazing. Yeah, Mickey Cohen yeah. And, and, and Bugsy Siegel. Yeah. That period when, when Bugsy Siegel went to Las Vegas and Mickey Cohen took over all the rackets. Yeah. It was that kind of, it's the LA confidential period, you know? Yeah. And I uh, I did a guest spot in the pilot for that show as a, as a sort of, as a comic actually mm-hmm. called Hecky Nash. And it's a, it's a really serious role. And it was, it was fantastic fun to do just because it was so different and i see he's american and yeah. playing completely against type yeah. and i hope it, what's nice is that he's a comic so i kind of there's a little segue sure, sure. You know? but so you're people, you're afraid i'm not afraid i i i, I like serious acting i mean uh, you've done but yeah i mean i guess you've done well i mean the star trek movies i mean it's serious yeah, relative still like the funny guy aren't i know yeah, yeah i'm still like comic relief yeah yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah bring that guy in yeah you're the funny guy did, did that have an impact on you as a as a as a nerd star to, trek to, to yeah. be part of that movie where you're like i can't believe i'm it, on the enterprise absolutely yeah. <laughs> it was crazy when i first put on my uniform it was like this isn't happening <laughs> but i stepped onto the bridge for the first time it was ridiculous yeah. <laughs> i mean the, the, all the kind of you know that stuff i watched that show as a kid i love that show and to become part of it was just insane have you met uh, any of these people that had these uh, the, the effect on your life, like uh, Lucas or? Spielberg? Yeah, we worked for Spielberg. Nick and I did. Uh, we were in Tintin, and that. Was, oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah, we, yeah. we got to chat. To, I met Lucas once and had a kind of interesting conversation with him. And about uh, what? About Phantom Menace. Well, the, no. <laughs> see, I went. This is at the as, as the huge hypocrite that I am. Yeah. I went to the the premiere of Revenge of the Sith. You know, the third one, uh-huh. and arguably the the least. Mm-hmm. crap mm-hmm. um of the new ones of the new ones yeah and uh and i got introduced to him at, at the um he was talking to ron howard yeah and uh this guy who worked for lucasfilm sort of took me over and and i saw the light go out in george lucas's eyes when he turned around and saw me because it was like oh here's another sort of mid-30s fanboy yeah, 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 who's yeah, gonna yeah. you know right goo all over me and Ron Howard saw me and went, oh, hey, Shaun of the Dead, you know, and my kids love your movie. And he shook my hand. He was, And Lucas kind of changed completely and was like, oh, okay. He's, so I immediately got a little in with him. And he said, uh, he said, what are you doing? And I said, we're making this movie. Uh, I think we were doing Hot Fuzz at the time. 
And he said, oh, you know what? Let me give you a piece of advice. Don't be, in 30 years' time, don't be making the same movie you made 30 years ago. And I went, okay. Oh, yeah, yeah, Which yeah. Which is a very interesting thing to say, you know. <laughs> yeah, because he does that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it was weird. It was, And I, I, I suddenly, I warmed, and I, 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 I was nothing but warm to him, irrespective yeah. of the new films. He's still George yeah, Lucas. Yeah, sure. But it was an interesting insight into him as a man, you know. He kind of almost regretted it a little bit right, or, it's weird when you see that isn't he seemed it? a bit lost you know you yeah see, yeah it, it, i suddenly saw him as all alone with billions of dollars yeah. <laughs> <laughs> poor guy oh I, my I, heart bleeds yeah i hope he's okay <laughs> <laughs> yeah it was totally but there was a sad i felt like you know he'd no, become you this, can, yeah. this 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 corporation and no one was saying no to him anymore and i felt like he kind of almost wanted someone to say george no. Do, yeah. Do something. Yeah. Do, don't do that. Do THX eleven thirty eight again. <laughs> again. You're, yeah. <laughs> if you're gonna make remake one, make a cryptic weird one. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. Disturbing. Yeah. Well, no. I be. I think that's. Uh, you know. That speaks to. Uh, it's a good lesson to learn. I mean, even when I asked you about serious roles, there's a fear there. Of a, there's a, there's a fear of the audience turning on you. And you know what it is as well is that as a comedian. Yeah. And you know, you know, you feel sometimes that people don't take you seriously simply because you're profession is by its very nature non-serious you're, yeah. you're a comedian you're right. a funny person comedy is a break from seriousness right. that's what it is right and so comedy as an art form is isn't taken particularly seriously i mean it's it's changing a little bit but there's no oscar for best comedy there's no oscar for best comic performance right and yet you would argue that you know there are a lot of serious actors who can't do comedy there yeah. are a lot of oscar winning actors who can't make you laugh I think it's seen as more disposable for some reason. I think it is. And I think it's because it's non-serious. Right. You know? Yeah. It's like, it, it, it loses credibility by its very nature. It's, it's so fucked up, though, because that classic quote that everybody quotes is that, you know, uh, the only thing harder than dying is comedy or, or whatever. That <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know? And, yeah, it's true. And people know, you know, how difficult it is. And certainly yeah. the, the personality of the comic is well explored as this dark brooding disaster. So exactly. Yeah. And so comics who are by their very nature slightly insecure because they require immediate yeah. validation. Yeah constantly feel underestimated because no one takes them seriously that's right so yeah. that's why they want to do serious stuff well, so maybe, someone actually says oh you're good right right well maybe that's the agenda of the industry is like we got to keep these guys nervous <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they're, gonna, <laughs> they're gonna they're gonna get cocky and we're not gonna be able to get funny out of them yeah it's good oh my god conspiracy theory yeah, yeah. that's a good one it's great talking to you simon you too buddy thanks man thank you thank you people for listening thank you simon Pegg, for being uh, in the garage i really enjoyed that conversation and i enjoyed the new movie and i'm looking forward i hope to uh, interview edgar wright i think that is going to happen uh, i do know next week uh this one's uh, been a long time coming maynard james keenan will be in the garage on monday from tool had to cram a lot of tool into my head get up for that thing good guy though what else get the app will you Oh, you know, I'm, I, I just want to try to get people to get the app. The free app. The app is free. You can get it for free. It's the fastest, easiest way to get every episode of WTF. And it's free for all your mobile devices. And you can get the newest episode as soon as it's ready to download. And the most recent 50 episodes are always on there. I'm going to start doing a little premium content. If you get the premium app for a few bucks, you can listen to all 400 plus episodes. You can get it at WTFpod.com. Click on the WTF app link. Go to your preferred app store and get the WTF app. I just think it's the easiest way to listen to this. I'd love to just say, get the app. Go to the app. It's on the app. 
But you can also go to WTFPod.com. Check out the merch. Sorry, I'll be getting more of the mugs. I'll get more of the ceramic mugs. The Brian R. Jones mugs. Brian R. Jones, the potter in Portland that was making me mugs for my guests only. Then I made them available and I put them up online. They have 50 of them made. They're all gone in minutes. Poor Brian's got to sit at that wheel and throw some more for me. I'll get them out to you. I saw elephant seals sleeping outside San Simeon. It's the second time I've seen them. It's the most amazing thing. Just sitting there looking at the seals sleeping, making weird noises. I think that was pretty good. I think if I was in the water, I could probably get some elephant seal pussy. Boomer lives! <laughs> <laughs>